This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Welcome back. This is Dollars and Change. I'm Catherine Klein, enjoying a very apt music pick. Thank you. That's a great little tune. Hi. Good morning. I'm Sandy Hunt. Thanks for being with us, listeners. Yeah. Great to be on the air. Great to have such fascinating guests. And uh, I'm, we're going to be speaking in this next segment with Will, William McDonough, sustainable designer, architect, a real innovator in uh you know, in in so many aspects, a global leader in sustainable development, serves on the World Economic Forum's Global Future Council on the Future of Environment and Natural Resource Security, a Fortune Award winner for the Circular Economy Leadership. Uh, you know, Time Magazine named him for hero uh, a hero for the planet. So uh, fabulous to be have this opportunity to uh, speak with you. Well, William McDonough, welcome to the show. Welcome to Dollars and Change. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks so much. Great to have you with us. Uh, so maybe we ought to start with, you know, the news and what's been, uh, you know, in all the news recently uh, about the United States and, and Trump pulling out of the Paris Agreement. And, you know, what this means for sustainable development and, and particularly we know you've focused a lot on carbon ed- emissions. So as you hear this news uh, and think about reasons for despair and hopefulness, um, you know what what makes you what makes you concerned? What makes you hopeful? Well, what makes me concerned is that there's there are some people in the world that are, seem to be looking backwards instead of forwards, and um, some of the the obvious issues of of it's. The coal era for burning coal is is something that wants to be in the past. Yeah. Both because commercial action, the cheaper cost of gas because of various ways of doing things in terms of just the reduction of, of the dirty fuels, but uh, but also the fact that renewables are coming online dramatically around the world. Um, and in the last three years, if anybody's been paying attention, we just saw in, in the Middle East a giant project, 800 megawatts, uh, contracted out at 2.4 cents per kilowatt hour, which is, for anybody in this business, half the price of burning um, natural gas. It's uh, half the price of wind, and it's solar, and it's real, and it's now. So for someone to to say that's not a relevant gift to the population for job creation and local energy production that's clean... It means you're not paying attention. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and you say carbon is not the issue, but rather a, a design failure. What does what does that mean? How should we understand carbon? Well, I say carbon emissions. Carbon is not the enemy. Uh huh. Okay. I think the the reason is I, I I was at the TED conference when the Prime Minister Bhutan said that that Bhutan was going to be a carbon negative country. Mm. And it was it was such a beautiful and hopeful moment while he described their forests being sequestration, three, three quarters of the forest would be restoring carbon to the soil while they used one quarter of it in their lives and sold their hydroelectricity. But, but the sadness for me was that calling carbon negative po- a positive, because if carbon negative is a positive, then carbon itself must be negative. Mm. So it's a, it becomes a double negative. And so being less bad is not being good. So this language I find very confusing for children. So 
so what I look at is that behavior is negative, putting carbon in the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So what he was talking about in my mind is carbon positive behavior. Is So I decided to write an article, and it was published in the science journal Nature as a commentary uh, for Marrakesh, for the, the meeting after Paris. Right. And I just renamed, I named the carbon as an innocent because the value of a tool is put there by the intention of the user. Sure. Right? So yeah. a hammer is innocent. In a child's hands, it's a toy. A carpenter, it's a tool. And in maniacs, it's a weapon. But carbon itself is the source of life. So negative carbon behavior would be putting it in the atmosphere above natural levels or putting plastics in the ocean, things like that. Got it. Carbon has you a know. PR issue, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But carbon, you know what? That stuff matters when it comes to these complex yeah. issues and, and you know, right places. Yep. individuals sort of digesting the news and figuring out what to do with this. Um, so, so what's the design failure? Is it just how it's the, the sort of reference to carbon and, and the language that's been built around it? Well, whenever you see a regulation, you realize that society is stepping in saying, please don't poison us or please don't you know, leave the world worse. And, and so it's a signal of design failure because it means our designs are, are either poisoning or leave the world worse. So we're looking at designs that produce clean energy, clean water, uh, good, strong economies, and, and safe and healthy materials so that people can have good lives. So that, that's, you do that by design. And you do it by having positive intentions, not just less negative intentions or even no intention or worse, bad intentions, which we, some things actually look like sometimes. So that, that's really the key thing. Design is intention. We can design clean energy systems that are cost effective. We do it every day now. And we can design things that make clean water. And it's quite amazing and fun. But it's like designing buildings like trees. So so uh, we're talking with Bill McDonough, sustainable architect, designer, and author. And, uh, you know, you're, you're a big thinker about these issues of design and creating, you know, sustainable, healthy, positive design solutions. And, you know, as, as you've said, this is not about just, like, let's do less negative. Uh, let's, let's do less harm. You're really thinking about how do we design in a way that creates long-term positive good you know, for today and for and tomorrow, I think it'd be helpful to dig into a specific example of, you know, what you're what you're designing with this mindset. You know, is is it packaging? Is it a building? Is it a city? Is it a transportation system? Um, can you give us an example of, you know, something we can see that that you've been involved in designing or thinking about? Oh, sure. Let me let me do three quick scales. Great, because we work from the molecule to the planet. So uh, <laughs> only just just you know. Well, that's what happened. That's uh, how you, it sort of has to be that way. So it, we just announced a a T-shirt done by a mass market retailer, uh, CNA in Europe. Mm, we've in, we've had those some of those folks on the air. CNA is interesting. They're very interesting, and. And so we've created a new thing called Fashion for Good, mm-hmm. and it's for everybody to share the cradle-to-cradle approach to fashion, which is five goods, good materials, good economy, good energy, good water, and good lives. So if you do these things, you end up with good products. Go figure. And the thing that 
we, I love so much is that we've now been able to do this T-shirt with CNA. And, and I can say this, the, the, this T-shirt has been assessed, 100% of its molecules have been assessed for ecological and human health to 25 endpoints. It's and, astonishing. Safe and, enough to eat. And for someone who took the two minimum requirement science courses mm-hmm. in college, <laughs> and all the listeners who are like me, break that. When you say every molecule, is it just the product? Are you talking about yeah, sort this of is the a full organic, eco- organic cotton T-shirt that the dyes, the rinses, the auxiliaries, even all the threads have been assessed using the scientific protocol we call cradle to cradle, the standard published, third-party, independent, that we created and gave to the public as a gift. And the, these T-shirts have been assessed through that process. So you can wear this and delight in it. You could, you could literally eat this thing safely if you have extreme fiber deficiency. But the idea that you'd have a product so safe, I mean, it, it makes it very beautiful. And plus, they did a beautiful job designing it. So that's that's a product, a T-shirt. And so um, I guess, so what's the desired change there? Is it that these the T-shirts individuals buy and it sort of pulls this positive supply chain along? Sure. Yeah, is I it, think the power of the wallet is absolutely important. And that's one of the exciting things here. These T-shirts are 7 and €9. Euros. So mm, this is wow. not... This is not expensive stuff. This is mass market basic. Okay. So, so okay, I want to just jump online and buy one of these things. I think so. In yeah, case yeah. our listeners want to do this, can you give us a, tell us how how you buy one of these? Does one just Google CNA t, CNA and uh, T-shirt? I think you could do that, but I think I'm going to set it up a link so it makes it easy for everybody. Uh, so uh, just at our you know com, we'll have a description of what's going on fashion good and then you can click through All right. whatever so, you have to do. So I so I um t shirts is a, is a uh, are an interesting example. Yep. I want to go back but I, I will provide a, just the context. Uh we had a, a woman from CNA, she may have been the CNA Foundation. She said to us, if I'm remembering this correctly, that the fashion industry is the you know the most polluting industry in the world, second to uh, second to I think oil and gas production. Um, so you know there's a huge amount of waste and pollution in in the fashion industry yes. and in fast fashion. You know they just That's I'll correct. buy it, I'll throw it away. Mm-hmm. It's cheap. Um, and yeah, the like average American I think has generates like something like sixty pounds of fabric trash per year. It's crazy. It's crazy. Mm. This is a serious issue. And, you know, we can look at it in a variety of ways. Um, and I think we have to look at it as an opportunity to do something intelligent for future generations and with them. So instead of simply bemoaning this and seeing it as a disaster, mm. which it you know, easily can be perceived as, um, I mean, even the Africans don't want to use clothing now. Right. They're overloaded. So... And people buy blouses, you know, for a party because it's cheaper than getting one cleaned. Right. So it's it's really a, a serious um, moment. And so we're looking at what the idea that humans might gracefully fashion endlessly because it is our nature to fashion and refashion. So if we can see the materials as what we call nutrients, biological or technical, they can either go back safely to soil and cotton and so on, or the polyesters go back to polymers. And then we do them ad infinitum because we're intelligently managing these materials. Then we can celebrate making stuff because it's solar power. The water's clean. People have jobs. And and we can perpetuate um, so, good so, behavior. So that's what we're working for. So, Bill, as I understand it, you've 
you're interested in you're applying this concept of essentially endlessly, mm-hmm. I mean literally endlessly, mm-hmm. infinitely using and reusing yeah. materials. Uh, and you're thinking about this in terms of buildings. Yeah. And so as I was thinking about this and exploring some of your work, seeing some of the the, the projects you've been involved in this 2020 park uh, outside of Amsterdam, mm-hmm. I have to say I was also thinking about, so, you know, I was recently in Rwanda, and, and you know, if you're looking out in rural villages, Rwanda has... Um, carefully gone beyond is uh, building beyond like no more mud huts, no more thatched roofs. That stuff is super recyclable. The the mud and the thatch. You're not talking about mud and thatch. You're you're talking about a, a new model of building for this endless recyclable mm-hmm. recycling. Can you can you again? Can you give us an example sure. of? I mean, I'm you know we're yeah. we're in a building at the University of Pennsylvania, and I'm just thinking it wasn't built this way. It was built recently, but it wasn't built this way. Yeah. What would be different if it had been built with this mindset that you that you advance? Well, again, with cradle to cradle thinking, we would we look at buildings, and I design buildings for a living and enjoy it. But I like to design buildings like trees, and um, and think of buildings that could make oxygen. Um, you know, provide birdsong, grow food. It's not a zero emissions thing because then we're just looking at carbon. We're actually looking at things that emit generosity and grace in the world. So the first thing I do, for example, if you're in Rwanda, is I would look at the traditional building types and celebrate them mm-hmm. because they're typically incredibly perfectly suited to culture and place. So they need to be honored and celebrated. Um, what happens a lot when you do appropriate technology to these things, you can actually destroy cultural uh, memes. You can cause all kinds of strangeness to occur when you shift around things that are ancient and, and tested by time and culture. So I would start by understanding what it, what it means to be home for somebody in their, in their heart as well as their head. Then we could start to look at materials and say the mud and the thatch those are what we call biological nutrients. Those go back to soil. In the case of the wall, it is soil. And so that's actually a very intelligent um, uh, element and a potential dwelling. And, and, and then from there, we could look at new materials and start to say what materials are at hand that we could use to benefit society affordably and you know, with a way, in a way that works with that climate and that history and that uh, economic opportunity. And then we work, we work to the hand, and we realize that the job creation is as much as anything. But I would look at those materials and say, for the future, what can we recover from, mm, mm-hmm. from the world to build with, and including waste plastics. Rwanda, for example, has a very vigorous program. They've eliminated plastic bags. They're, they're going after the plastic packaging because it's such a mess you know, all the stuff we hear about in the oceans, you know, but it's everywhere. And so I work with the industries to redesign packaging and to then also design systems that could use use packaging for something useful um, and that's safe and healthy for people. So it's worth collecting because if you give it value, then, then we can concentrate it and move it somewhere out of harm's way. So, so uh, yeah. Bill, can you talk with us? I'd love to hear your thoughts about uh, urbanization, 
right? We are, uh, you know, you're, uh, as I've reminding our listeners, you're a sustainable architect, you're a designer, you're an author thinking about very much about sustainable solutions and, and positive solutions, not, you know, it's, it's well, it's well, you're, you're the first do no harm is not your standard. Um, right? Mine is less bads, more goods. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, as we think about what's going on with cities, I mean, we're hearing about people moving into cities and, and uh, the growth of cities, whether in the United States you know, or in Rwanda or everywhere in the world, there is this understanding that more people will be living in cities. And actually, that's probably you know, important and valuable for you know, economic well-being, for access to services, et cetera, et cetera. But man, it can obviously be done badly. How should we be building and thinking about cities to, to realize the positive. I think the, the way we do it, I, I do work on cities, and I've recently developed a carbon-positive city strategy with the second-largest bank in China, and we do urban plans and things. So I've been very engaged in these areas. Yeah. The way I think the way to answer the question most usefully for the listeners is to just imagine that we designed our cities for children. So when I sit down to start working on a city plan or talk to city leaders or, or talk about potentials in detail, I always think of designing for four-year-olds <laughs> or a 10-year-old maybe. Yeah. And, and I just designed it for them first. So what happens is you start designing pedestrian and mobility systems for children that would be safe. For example, parks could be places not just for play and recreation, but it could be a place where quietly where vehicles move with elders in them who, you know, may be too old to be driving, but we have autonomous vehicles. So you could have elders taking children to their violin lesson and telling them stories while they get mobility. And that becomes first order of business. So all of a sudden you have ways of moving around the city that are for children and elders. Because why why would we destroy the relationship between our generations? Because the people in the middle are so busy working and everyone else gets lost. So that's such so, a that's that a, kind of thing. That's such an interesting uh, starting point. Are there yeah. other points of that that you find kind of freeing for thinking about designing yeah. or yeah? So what else? Other it would be um, you know f- local, local, local food, energy, water. Mm. We have found ways to make water out of the air, which means it's distilled. So people everywhere and think of that child again. The UN tells us, of course, that clean water is a human right. What does that mean? That means that every child should have access to clean drinking water every day, all the time. If anybody argues that, you have to you have to look at them and say, what part of this don't you understand? Right. Would that not be what we're here for, is to take care of our children? And why can't adults act with child supervision for a change? And so let's do that. Okay, we can, because we can actually make water out of the air now. It's quite amazing. And so... That's clean water. And then we have clean food. Well, local food is the most efficient and effective. We can have local types of food. We can have no transportation, you know, zero-mile food. So as we look at the cities, how does it feed itself? And local, local, all, all sustainability, like politics, is local. So that's where the cities are going to be going in the future, I think. And then as we look at them, we can look at them as circular cities. I, I did win this award at the, at the World Economic Forum as the father of the circular economy. And if I take that idea and apply it to cities, Mm -hmm. as we're seeing, then cities would recycle their sewage as fertilizer. So you change your language from sewage treatment plant to 
fertilizer factory mm-hmm. or a nutrient management system. And then we could take all the carbon and the nitrogen and the phosphate, which is a very critical element. Phosphate is now all coming from Morocco and Kazakhstan. There's no reason to import it since we're eating it every day. We could actually return it to our local farmers. So we could use everything we're eating to support local farming. That's, and these things become very ancient and very modern at the same time because we've, been, we've moved from a kind of sense of history and place in it from a kind of, we've become sort of timefully mindless. We're in a hurry and we don't want to think about it. Yeah. And, and it's time for us to go back to being timelessly mindful. Yeah. yeah. Last question, Sandy. Last question, yeah, as we, as we wrap up here, time flies. Um, these things all sound great, but are they expensive? Is there a prohibitive cost to um, this pace of design, these tools? You know, I have to imagine cost is driving some of the reasons we're doing things the way we are. Yeah, I think it's a great question. All I can say is we wouldn't be able to do our work if we weren't cost-effective because we act in the commercial markets. Uh, So that's all there is to it. I mean, if I can give you a T-shirt for 7 euros that competes with a normal T-shirt at 7 euros or more, hey, that's called business. And, And if we can make our buildings cheaper and faster and better than others, which we do at higher quality, and we can do it and we can renewably power them because it's cheaper, faster, and better, it's because we apply intelligence. Thank, thank you so much, Bill. That. Perfect note to end on. Sorry that we're rushing out yeah. of time here. Great to talk with you. Bill McDonough, sustainable architect, designer, and author. This is Dollars and Change. Sandy Hunt, thank you so much. Associate producer, Dion Simpkins. Producer, Matt Johnson. Program director, Patty Hall. This is Dollars and Change. Thanks for listening. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.